Nuclear Hot Seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear Hot Seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear Hot Seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear Hot Seat, it's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what it looks like when the so-called nuclear experts get it wrong. This week, we talk with Harvey Wasserman, a 40-year veteran of the anti-nuclear movement, what do we talk about? What else is there to talk about? TEPCO, spent fuel pool for, American nuclear problems, and what we can do to keep putting pressure on world governments and the nuclear establishment to change our international energy policy. We'll also get to hear from Arnie Gunderson with a clarification on the exact dangers we face with fuel rod removal. And we continue our weekly reports from Mimi Gurman and Radcast with the Radiation Weather Report for the United States. That's this week. Next week, we will be having international numbers. Plus, numbnuts of the week, radiation protection tip, activist shoutouts, and much more coming up in just a few minutes. Today is Tuesday, November 19, 2013, and here is the week's anti-nuclear news. Starting with breaking news here in California. The investigation by the California Public Utilities Commission into the San Onofre outage of 2012-2013 has its first results, and they are good for us. The administrative law judges just published a proposed decision which stated, We find SCE, Southern California Edison's, decision to apply resources to a restart plan was the result of an unsound decision-making process. Yeah! The decision establishes May 7, 2012 as the date by which SCE knew or should have known that they had problems with a new type of tubeware in Unit 2 and Unit 3. As a result of this proposed decision, the first round of San Onofre refunds to ratepayers is estimated to be about $95 million. Woo, effin' who, and congratulations to all the activists involved in this decision with a sad but mighty shout-out to the late Barbara George, who made her work at the CPUC her life's work and lived not quite long enough to see this result. Unfortunately, the rest of the week's nuclear news is nowhere near this good. In Japan, as of Monday, November 18, TEPCO has begun removing the fuel rods from spent fuel pool 4 at Fukushima. To explain exactly what we're facing, here's Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds.org, Fairwinds Energy Education, taken from an interview on Coast to Coast AM with John B. Wells from November 8. Unit 4 is the easiest of the three of the four reactors to remove the rods from. The problem is that if they don't remove the fuel, the consequences of not removing the fuel are much worse than the consequences of removing it. You know, a serious earthquake, if the fuel stays in those pools that are seven stories high, about 100 feet high, 
if those buildings were to collapse and they had the fuel in them, the, the consequences would be truly catastrophic. So you got to get the fuel out. Unfortunately, you're relying on Tokyo Electric to move the fuel out. So what happens is the, the fuel is in a rack, and it's like cigarettes in a cigarette pack. When you, when you get a fresh pack, you can you know, easily pull one cigarette out without damaging it. But if you squeeze the pack and then try to pull the cigarette out, you're not going to be able to pull them out without, one, damaging the cigarette or breaking it. Well, these racks are like that pack. They've been squeezed. They've been in a seismic event. They've uh, had the roof fall in on top of them. And the bundles, the fuel bundles, individual cigarettes, if you will, are not going to come out very easily. So there's, there's two problems. One is when they go to pull on the bundle, they're likely to snap a few. And this has happened in the past in American reactors. When you do that, you release uh, radioactive gases, uh, Krypton-85 is the, is the biggest one. It's not filterable, so it will have to go out a roof vent and be released and uh, expose people within the prefecture of, uh, of Fukushima, like the state of, of Fukushima. So the problem number one is that they'll, they'll evacuate the refueling floor, and then they'll suck the air out of the building and uh, go back in and continue the process. So that's problem number one is a snapped bundle. Problem number two, though, is what you were referring to. Sources have told me within Tokyo Electric that they, they have no confidence that there's any boron left between these fuel bundles. And you need boron to prevent the nuclear fuel from becoming uh, a self-sustaining chain reaction, a, a criticality. So... Without boron in the plates, and the reason that is that there were plates between these fuel bundles, but they got extraordinarily hot from not being cooled for the better part of a couple of weeks, and they also were exposed to salt water. So that combination likely stripped out the boron. So the only thing Tokyo Electric can do is throw all sorts of boron into the water and then pull the fuel. I used to build fuel racks when uh, I ran a division that built fuel racks. And these high-density fuel racks like they have at Fukushima are very close to going critical anyway. We call this thing K-effective. And it, normally it's 0.95 and you can get as high as 0.99. That means there's a 1% margin before uh, a self-sustaining chain reaction can occur. So what the problem there is that the fuel pool doesn't have the ability to remove the heat if these nuclear fuel bundles turn back on. And a, a criticality means they turn back on outside of the nuclear reactor. So they have to be extraordinarily careful, again, that they don't start a chain reaction in the fuel pool. You're supposed to have chain reactions inside the nuclear reactor. You're not supposed to have one in the fuel pool. There was something out on the web, if they touch, it's apocalyptic. That's not true, but as they get close together, you can cause a chain reaction. And what will happen then is not a, not a nuclear weapon, but the water will begin to boil violently. And hopefully, Tokyo Electric is going to be monitoring this process really closely, and at the first indication of water bubbling, essentially steam, they push the rods back in. The problem, though, is that the rack is distorted. And as you pull it, you're, you're pulling against 
way more friction than it was ever designed to handle. It's a real problem, but again, I got to go back to how we started this, that the, uh, the risk of not doing anything, leaving that pool the way it is, is worse than the risk of pulling that fuel. Now, unfortunately, it's Tokyo Electric doing it. That was Arnie Gunderson, as interviewed by John B. Wells on Coast to Coast AM. TEPCO has admitted that there are three fuel rods in the Unit 4 spent fuel pool that are damaged. However, in an article in the Japanese publication Kahoku Shinpo, translated by XSKF, it was reported that 70-70 fuel assemblies were damaged before the March 11 earthquake and were held in spent fuel pool 1. Reactor 2 spent fuel pool had three damaged rods, and Reactor 3 had four. Adding all these up, you get 80, 80 damaged fuel assemblies in the four spent fuel pools at Fukushima 1, 2, 3, and 4, and that's just what they're admitting to. To help you visualize, in each fuel assembly, there are between 50 and 70 rods, each of which weighs about 660 pounds and is 15 feet long. That's what TEPCO is trying to remove from spent fuel pool 4, which is 59 feet in the air in a building that has buckled, tilted, and could collapse if another quake strikes. Speaking of which, on Tuesday, November 12, a 5.7 earthquake jolted eastern Japan. Elsewhere on the Fukushima site, a robot for the first time has identified exactly where highly radioactive water is leaking from a reactor. The lower part of the number one reactor's containment vessel was shown by a camera on the robot to be leaking from two holes in the containment vessel, and according to TEPCO engineers, One of the leaks looks as if tap water is gushing out. Radiation levels in the area were extremely high at up to 1.8 sieverts an hour. Not millisieverts, sieverts. Ouch. Meanwhile, the Japanese government is poised to enact a security law that will undermine the people's right to know anything. The law will give all government ministries the right to classify information related to defense, diplomacy, counterintelligence, and counterterrorism as a state secret. But there is no guideline as to what constitutes a secret. And this lack of definition means the government could well designate any inconvenient information a secret. The new law would allow the secrecy period to be extended indefinitely, And it further limits government accountability by making no clear provision for sharing secrets with elected representatives in the national diet. That's their Congress. This new law, which has already passed one of the houses of the parliament, threatens to jail journalists for up to five years for doing their jobs. What's the Japanese word for censorship? Japan's journalists are fighting back At a gathering at Japan's National Press Club in Tokyo on November 11, a group of television personalities joined together behind a banner that stated, We oppose the bill on the protection of special secrets. Good luck, guys. When it comes to sharing secrets, let alone inconvenient truths, perhaps nobody needs protection more than the Prime Minister's wife, Akia Abe. She has spoken out repeatedly against nuclear, 
Most recently, on November 13, when she told reporters that she has repeatedly urged her husband to stop exporting nuclear technology following Japan's own nuclear disaster. She said, I told my husband not to sell nuclear plants overseas now, but he won't listen. She's quoted saying this in the Hokkaido Daily. Akia Abe said she questioned why Japan was trying to sell nuclear technology and services abroad when it was still struggling to contain the situation at the stricken Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power station. Akia was previously quoted saying much the same last June. Just imagine the pillow talk. So what kind of information will we most likely not be hearing about out of Japan once the Secrecy Act passes? On November 12, Fukushima prefectural officials said that 15 more young people in Fukushima prefecture have received definitive or suspected diagnoses of thyroid cancer, which is often associated with radiation exposure. That raises to 59 the total number of young people who have been diagnosed with or are suspected of having thyroid cancer only two and a half years after the Fukushima nuclear disaster began. All of them were aged 18 or under in March of 2011. The current rate of thyroid cancer in this age group is now more than seven times higher than it was in 2007. Hey, International Olympic Committee! You still believe Abe Baby's statement that nobody was harmed and nobody will be harmed by Fukushima? Still want to put all those young world-class athletes in harm's way in 2020? Regarding our awareness of health, Arnie Gunderson said that in Japan, before the accident, they had excellent statistics, prefecture by prefecture, about cancers, stillbirths, and spontaneous abortions. They haven't published anything in 2011 or 2012. So that's an indication that the information's out there, and they're just afraid to release it. And once the Secrecy Act goes through, it will be a crime punishable by five years in prison to anyone who reveals any information along those lines. That is scary. With that in mind, here's this week's Nuclear Hot Seat, Nuclear Hot Seat, Nuclear Hot Seat, Numbnuts of the Week. And this week, it's Evil Numbnuts. Dr. Shunichi Yamashita headed the Fukushima Health Survey for the first years after the accident, dispensed advice right after the disaster that has been repeatedly found to be wrong. Asahi Shimbun, in an article translated by XSKF, found that Dr. Yamashita didn't even understand the basics of the ongoing disaster and did nothing to seek out information so he could give informed opinions about what people should do. He had confidently persuaded the officials of Fukushima Medical University in the days immediately after the disaster began on March 11, 2011, that there was absolutely no need to distribute potassium iodide pills because the spread of radioactive materials from the accident compared to the Chernobyl accident would be so minuscule. It's quoted as saying, Many believe that potassium iodide pills will prevent thyroid cancer. But it is nothing but iodine religion. In simulation maps, the areas where the equivalent dose would exceed 100 millisieverts, the standard for taking potassium iodide pills, 
extended far outside the 30-kilometer radius from the plant, to which Yamashita replied, I thought, oops, oops, oops. You put yourself forward as an expert and talk people out of taking the protective moves that they could have used to maybe protect all of those children who now have nodules and cysts and thyroid cancer, and that's just the first wave of what's showing up? Yamashita, you have blood on your hands. You've already been enshrined in the nuclear hot seat Evil Numbnuts Hall of Shame. You're despicable. And that's why you are this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, Num Nuts of the Week. That's way too genial a jingle for that mangala. Moving over to the United States and keeping up with the theme of what happened to thyroids as a result of Fukushima, a new study finds that radioactive iodine from Fukushima has caused a significant increase in hypothyroidism among babies in California. This is in an article that will be published next week in the peer-reviewed Open Journal of Pediatrics. The study is by our friends Joe Mangano and Dr. Jeanette Sherman of the Radiation and Public Health Project in New York and Christopher Busby, guest researcher at Jacobs University in Bremen. They examined congenital hypothyroidism rates in newborns using data obtained from the state of California over the period of the Fukushima explosions. They compared data for babies exposed to radioactive iodine-131 and born between March 17 and December 31 of 2011, with babies born in 2011 before Fukushima. Confirmed cases of hypothyroidism increased by 21% in the group of babies that were exposed to excess radioactive iodine in the womb. We will have a link to this full report up on the website, NuclearHotSeat.com slash blog under episode 126. I had no idea how bad things were in Alaska for the wild things until I compiled all the stories that came through in the last week. 28% of polar bears off the northern coast of Alaska were found to have skin lesions and hair loss. Bears have also shown variable degrees of inflamed and crusting skin and oral lesions. Hair loss has been seen in seals and walruses. This suggests a possible connection between the events. A high rate of non-viable eggs have been found in nests of greater white-fronted geese. The Alaska Science Center has documented surprisingly high mortality of 20 to 30 percent in adult female musk ox during mid to late summer in northwestern Alaska. All of this points to compromised immune function in the animals in the area. On Amchitka Island in Alaska, their biological monitoring report for 2011 shows that Fukushima Daiichi's direct release of radioactive materials into the atmosphere might have contributed to the background radiation on Amchatka and Adak Islands. Yeah, think? The results imply that various type of fish, including the Dolly Varden, Irish Lord, Rockweed, Kelp, Greenling, Halibut, Horse Mussel, Octopus, Pacific Cod, Sea Urchin, and Reindeer Lichen, all show cesium contamination. Monitoring has been carried out 
by the U.S. Department of Energy Office Legacy Management. Scientists anticipate that the marine environment will show the impacts of Fukushima during the next sampling event, currently scheduled to occur in 2016. We've got verifiable radiation contamination in our food already, and we have to wait that long for the next measurement? In Nevada, U.S. Department of Energy officials have been telling residents at a town hall meeting last last June... from going into the Nevada nuclear security site just north of Las Vegas. The first truck was loaded at Oak Ridge, and officials told residents in Las Vegas they want to begin shipments under armed guard in January before trip certification expires. Up to 100 shipments would follow before 2017. To which the citizens of Las Vegas attending this town meeting replied, Wanna bet? The shutdown Paducah, Kentucky nuclear fuel factory was struck by a tornado on Sunday, November 17. The Paducah gaseous diffusion plant's for enrichment production buildings was damaged, as well as adjacent cooling towers and a nearby electrical switchyard. Fortunately, uranium enrichment was stopped there this past June. And if we are to believe official reports, There was no release of hazardous or radioactive materials. Anonymous staged a nationwide March Against Mainstream Media protest on Saturday, November 16. Among the stations visited was KMPH-TV in Fresno, California, where the protesters took the station to task for its lack of coverage of Fukushima. One of the protesters is quoted as saying... The radiation from that plant is going to reach us and affect us, not just in California, but worldwide. How is it going to affect us? How is it going to affect our water, our food supply, and our way of life? Couldn't have said it better myself. On to the week's interview. Harvey Wasserman. He has been an anti-nuclear pro-alternatives activist for more than 40 years. He's an author and co-author of a dozen books, writes for the Huffington Post, and edits the nukefree.org website. His Green Power and Wellness show is at ProgressiveRadioNetwork.com. We spoke on Monday, November 18, and started with what's on top of all of our minds. Libby, as we talk, uh, today is the day that is reputed to be the beginning of the bring-down of the fuel at Fukushima Unit 4. We've had rumors swirling around No one has what I consider to be a clear and irrefutable piece of evidence about what Tokyo Electric Power Company is or is not doing at the Fukushima site. I have heard um, one story that was in Business Week saying that the uh, company went in and removed four unused, in other words, cold fuel rods today, but we're not sure. And you have to remember, of course, there's a gap. I mean, it's already Tuesday. and It's over the date line, so they're already in the second day. Yes, and this is very alarming because this is the most important engineering job project undertaken in human history. If they screw this up, you know, uh, the amounts of radiation that could be released or would be released are astronomical. And yet I have seen nothing in the corporate media about this. There is no sense of urgency. 
among any of the media that's supposed to be uh, informing us, and I am also reliably informed that one of the two houses of the Japanese Diet or the Congress has passed a state secrets act, which will make it virtually impossible to get reliable information from the Fukushima site. So the Secrecy Act has been passed already, or it's still in process? My understanding is it's passed one house of a two-house uh, diet or Congress in in, um, in Japan. Of course, the Prime Minister, the very pro-nuclear Prime Minister Abe, is pushing hard for this. So we could be blacked out of information from the Fukushima site uh, about many things, including this this drawdown of the fuel rods. Now, I find it hard to believe that my number is 1,331 fuel rods that have been in the reactor and are thus radioactive, and another 200 or so that are cold and, and were not yet at the time of the of the disaster uh, or before. So my guess is that they're going to remove the, the, the 200 uh, good ones first. But I, I find it really hard to believe that of the other 1,300 or so, not a few of them have been either swollen, corroded by salt water, and brittled and, and crumbled, bent. I've read an unconfirmed report that, uh, that, that they damaged at least three long before the accident at Fukushima. And once they're damaged, uh, having looked at the now infamous cartoon of a smooth removal of fuel rods from Fukushima, once damaged, I don't see how they're going to get them out of there. And I don't know what the scenario might be if there is one for removing damaged fuel rods from the Fukushima Unit 4. Now, that, of course, doesn't begin to deal with the problems at Unit 3, 2, and 1 where the cores are missing. At this point in time, are about to fly really blind when, and it's not an if, it's when they pass the State Secrets Act. And, of course, we've had dead silence from the corporate media. So this is a pretty astoundingly important day and that's getting virtually no attention on whatever. You put together the petition that was signed ultimately by over 150,000 people and then was delivered directly to Ban Ki-moon's office at the United Nations. What, if anything, was the response when you brought it in and what, if anything, has been the result of this going? Has there been any shift, any communication as a result? No, there's been, uh, not from the uh, office of Ban Ki-moon, there has been some movement with the Philippine de delegation that was approached some time ago, actually, to the United Nations. Hopefully, um, uh, they will get involved. The, the Philippines is not all that far from Japan, but we've seen no response, and uh, frankly, I don't, I don't expect one. The as we learned in the lead-in to the delivery of the petitions, there's a huge, shall we say, swamp of politics that surrounds everything that's done at the United Nations. And uh, this is certainly no exception. People are walking on eggshells about offending Japanese sovereignty as if they were capable of keeping the radiation strictly within Japanese borders. So this is going to be a delicate dance. We did circulate. Uh, another petition from Arnie Gunderson asking that TEPCO be removed from the operation at Fukushima. We, uh, I haven't delivered those yet. Technically, Arnie and I are co-authors of that one. So the important thing is that we garnered at uh, nukefreeandmoveon.org about 117,000 
signatures, another 40,000 at uh, rootsaction.org, and uh, Green Shadow Cabinet uh, collected quite a few organizational signatures. But so far, we've had no official response from the Ban Ki-moon's office, and I'm, I'm not sure really I expect one. We're just going to have to keep putting the pressure on here. The only thing we can really do, maybe, is inform the public as best we possibly can and pressure the global community to, to intervene here. You just mentioned the Philippine delegation. Might there be a strategy to go to those countries that are closest to Japan that have been expressing their objections, especially as the information about the contamination of seafood and their other resources has been coming forward, but going to countries like China, South Korea, Russia, and Australia to find out if perhaps they would raise their individual voices in the United Nations as another strategy for going country by country to get the issue raised. It's a good idea. You know, anything we can do now is critical. The number one uh, task is to inform the public about what's going on. Obviously, after, you know, a full week of pro-nuclear groveling from CNN, which we can now call the corporate nuclear network, you know, we've got our work cut out for us. Um, we actually had the maker of that film, the misinformercial Pandora's Promise, Robert Stone, in a radio interview, say that no one has been harmed at Fukushima and no one will be harmed. And it just makes me apoplectic when I hear them saying things like that. Right. And so we're dependent, and happily so, on your show and my show and all the independent websites and email and blogging to get the word out. And my show's on Progressive Radio Network, Gary Knowles Network. We're getting the word out to the point that the alternative media, so-called, is actually the only media that's really doing the job here and in the long term we will have more of a following or more of a listenership than the corporate media will. But we've just got to keep hanging away. There are no easy answers to Fukushima. The gusher of radioactive water into the Pacific continues unabated. There's no real prospect for it stopping. We don't know where the three radioactive cores are. There's 11,000 fuel rods on site, 6,000 in a common fuel pool, maybe more. And we don't. We see no. I see no. I've never read any solution to what can be done to remove the fuel rods from the pool in the air at Unit Four if the rods are damaged, which is a virtual certainty. You know, there was an explosion. Those things caught fire. They dumped in seawater. There's debris in the pool. I mean, you know, this is <laughs> this is an impossible situation here. And nobody in the major media, nobody in the corporate media. We are the major media. We are the mainstream media. And the, the corporate media uh, can't deal with any of this. What would you suggest as the most effective steps that could be taken by any of the listeners to Nuclear Hot Seat? And we do have international listeners. Five continents are tuned into this every week. What steps might they take that would be useful in bringing the awareness up, bringing the attention up, and at least putting a pause button on what they're doing in Japan to get the international cooperation and input that they so desperately need? We have to get as much information as we possibly can. We don't know what the hell is going on there. People in other countries, especially in the Pacific Rim, need to be calling the, uh, their governments and raising the issue here. I mean, even China had pause when the accident first happened and slowed down their nuclear construction program. The Japanese people themselves are in a very difficult situation. When the State Secrets Act passed, and they're going to just 
clamp down on the traditional anti-nuclear movement. You know, I was in Japan in the mid-70s and went to demonstrations and toured Japan speaking about nuclear power and actually wrote an article that appeared in the Progressive Magazine in 1977 about mm-hmm. Fukushima. So uh, the, the issues are known to a certain extent, but the seriousness, of the, the gravity of the situation is hard for people to really get their hands around. I mean, we're talking about the, the death of the Pacific Ocean here. This is an apocalyptic event. And uh, as you know from reading the articles, the Nuclear Institute in Kyoto comes to the estimate that the fuel rods in Unit 4 contain as much cesium, radioactive cesium, as was released at Hiroshima by a factor of 14,000. So this is not, you know, a minor event here. And what we have to keep doing, first and foremost, is to bang away at public awareness. Everybody with email needs to be circulating your, your show and, and the blogs and, the, and, you know, whatever information we can get and so that the public is aware. Signing the petition helps in building up more signatures. Uh, we just got to keep at this because this is really our lives are at stake here. Where is the petition available? That's an easy step that everyone can take and then forward onto their list. We have two petitions. One is to remove TEPCO from the Fukushima site, and the other is to bring in the global community to take over at Fukushima, and they're both linkable through nukefree.org, N-U-K-E-F-R-E-E.org, where I have linked your program, and I continue to post articles, whatever I can find about Fukushima and other nuclear issues. We've posted, I think, more than 2,000 articles uh, since uh, 3.11.11, so there's a lot there that people can refer to. This whole pro-nuclear push, it's just just nuclear renaissance 2.0. It's useless. It's not going to come – nothing's going to come of it except to delay the public response to Fukushima. They're not going to be able to build any of these new Generation 4 reactors. It's ridiculous. What's going to happen is that Bill Gates and the other billionaires will put in, you know, a few hundred million dollars, which they'll write off on their taxes, and they'll get these companies going, and the technology will fail. It'll come in late. It'll be billions of dollars over budget, years behind schedule. It's already been priced out of the market by renewables. Those things, you know, they'll build a couple of them, I suppose, but it's not going to happen. It's all basically down to how soon we can get the nukes shut and how long it'll take us to get the renewables online. Uh, And in the interim, everything else is just a waste of time. And hopefully Fukushima will be held in abeyance. We'll get TEPCO stopped, and at least no ultimate disaster will happen there while all the rest of this is going on. The problem is the ultimate disaster is in progress. You know, we've got 400 tons of radioactive water pouring into the Pacific already, and Radiation in the ocean has already been detected off the coast of Alaska, so it's clearly going to make its way down the west. Then uh, who knows? I mean, I'm I'm reading reports of massive dead zones in the Pacific already. We had this horrifying outbreak of starfish deaths off the northwest coast. Now, is that from Fukushima radiation, or did it just happen to happen at this time? You know, there are so many species in collapse right now, including the sardines, the the salmon, and I get so sick of hearing oceanographers say, well, gee, we don't know what could possibly be causing this, and nobody bothers to say either the F word for Fukushima or the R word for radiation. Right, and then, of course, the problem is also that it works in synergy, in a bad synergy with other pollutants. So if you have a body of water that's already polluted,
when you add radiation, the, the impacts are multiplied. It's not just a simple addition here. You get a spiraling effect, and, and it, it's truly horrifying. We are clearly at the brink of some kind of apocalypse. We've already seen that they killed the Gulf of Mexico. Now this gargantuan typhoon and Fukushima in the last month has been hit by two typhoons. Uh, one of them dropped 10 inches of water, rain in within a day, flushing still more radioactivity into the ocean. It's not a question of if, but when another major earthquake hits there. So there's a desperate need to get those fuel rods out of that fuel pool, but I don't know how, I don't see any prospect for them doing it when it's proven that some of these fuel rods are damaged. There's no precedent for pulling damaged fuel rods out of an assembly like that. A simple look at the technical demands of the situation would tell you it can't be done. So, uh, uh, you know, we'll see. Except it has to be done. It well, yes, not be done. They're going to have to do it in ways that have never been done before. You know, it used to be a, a fuel assembly or well, a pool like that, what's in there could be removed in about 100 days, all done by computer. Now you have something that's being done manually. According to the New York Times, is I think 36 workers assigned to two-hour shifts. It has to be done like, like in an amusement park when you, you, know, you get one of those claws and they come down and, and grab a, a prize out of a, a glass case. I've used that image on the website to show my thinking about what the equipment is going to look like at Japan. Yes, and those hooks aren't intact, the thing that they're going to use to pull them out, if they're stuck, if they're melted into the array, they certainly uh, high likelihood of embrittlement, corrosion from salt water. They pulled a couple of rods out a few months ago that were un, un, was not, not hot and said that the, there was no sign of corrosion. Because, you know, they dumped in seawater with the, the, mm-hmm. the beginning of the, of the action because the rods caught fire. And now they're, now they're claiming that they didn't catch fire. But I posted at nukefree.org a letter from the, uh, involving the IAEA um, uh, indicating that there was a fire among the fuel rods. So how do you get those fuel rods out? You know, this is just really beyond anything that people have had to do uh, with, uh, in the, with the nuclear plant. And, you know, we were told for 40 years, the 40 years I've been involved, that the nuclear industry, well, nuclear reactor, commercial reactor can't explode. And to the point that, you know, anti-nuclear people were telling other anti-nuclear people, don't say a reactor can explode, you'll harm your credibility. And uh, But, you know, Fermi 1 almost exploded. Three Mile Island, we don't know why it didn't explode. It was very close. And then Chernobyl exploded, and they said, oh, that's a Soviet reactor. Now we've had three general electric reactors explode. And, um, you know, then they're going to say, well, it wasn't fission. We actually don't know for sure that one of the um, pictures of the four explosions of Fukushima, one of them looks like it might have actually been nuclear fission. But nonetheless, we've had three general electric reactors explode. Another, another you know, four, we had an explosion not involving the core. Um, and uh, my, my greatest fear is that this is not a worst-case scenario. People are looking at Fukushima and saying, oh, you know, followed by a tsunami, couldn't happen again. A worst-case scenario is, uh, as best I can tell, that the earthquake that hit um, at Fukushima was 120 kilometers away. The epicenter was 120 kilometers away. And it was a 9.0. It was as big as, as we, has been recorded. If there was a uh, 20 kilometers or two kilometers away, Fukushima would just be a simple 
pile of radioactive rubble with nothing to be done and, you know, spewing unending, immense, enormous clouds of radiation far greater than we're seeing. And this could happen at Diablo Canyon. It could happen at Indian Point. We've already had two instances of earthquakes seriously damaging nuclear reactors in the United States. We're all just living at the mercy of the earthquake faults. And so here we have the, the global corporate media just merrily chugging along. There's no coverage of this fact at the, of what's going on at, at, uh, at Fukushima now. And it'll get worse because once the State Secrets Act is in place, what are we going to know? How are we going to find things out? And what is this going to do to the bureaus of places like the New York Times that are based in Japan? Well, recently they've had two, a whopping two articles. They had one on the um, release of the water, and, of course, high up they said, nobody, this is a, in a paraphrase, nobody in the scientific community believes there'll be any health damage from this. I mean, come on. It's utterly ridiculous. And then uh, they did have an article about the fact that the drawdown, you know, the bring down of the fuels rods was going to happen. But they didn't say much about it. It was a, a technical explanation. And then you've got the official cartoon, animated portrayal. That Arnie Gunderson did such an amazing job part in his video yes, last week. So it's very, very good. And I linked it at nukefree.org as well. And Arnie has been the source of you know, a tremendous amount of the uh, information that we've been able to compile from Fukushima, especially Unit 4. But, you know, we don't have any reliable sources there. The idiot who made Pandora's Promise, they had a guy at Fukushima walking around with a Geiger counter somewhere around the site. I mean, he could have been Detroit for all we knew, claiming that the radioactive fallout from wherever he was, wherever Fukushima was in relation to where he was, was comparable to all these other places around the world. You know, a hand-sized, tiny little Geiger counter is embarrassing. I mean, you know, no mention of the, the fuel rods in the air, the, the 11,000 on the site, the, the dumping of the radioactive water, the disposition of the uh, cores at 1, 2, 3, the explosions. I mean, come on. And that, that's the level it's been on. So, you know, we're in serious trouble here just getting to get information now. This thing could be happening in the dark uh, as of, um, you know, well, as of now, it's pretty much in the dark, and it will get even worse when the State Secrets Act is put in place. I don't mean to depress everybody. I did give a speech the other night, and I told a lot of jokes before. My joke is that I can bring down any room I walk into within three minutes. Oh, yes, it's not hard. It's and not uh, hard. people sit in stunned silence. But, you know, but then people say, well, what can I do? Let's do a roundup. What can people do to take whatever their emotions are as a result of hearing this and move it forward to make some difference, to make some change? Well, sign the petitions at nukefree.org, the two of them, uh, and there are others out there. And uh, keep calling governments and calling representatives and calling the media. Get people on this case. People have to be aware that this is happening, for God's sakes, and the, and the implications of what's happening. It's terrifying. I've been doing this since 1973, and this is the worst. Orders of magnitude worse. It's worse than Chernobyl because there are multiple reactors, and they're on the ocean. Chernobyl was, if there are any places remote left on Earth, Chernobyl was darn close. This is in Japan, for God's sakes. It's less than 150 miles from Tokyo. 
And right on the ocean where the entire west coast of North America is downwind of the nuclear reactors and also downwater. Yes, it's an apocalyptic event. The water is flowing as we speak, so we don't have to go over that. The point is that people need to be informed. They need to tell everybody what's going on, that this is horrifically serious, that there are no safe doses of radiation, that the Pacific Ocean is certainly not big enough to make this an inconsequential event, that the radiation's already been channeled off Alaska. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt that it will be detected and measurable off the coast of California next year. Do we swim in the ocean anymore? Do we eat anything from the oceans? And what is this going to do to the chemical balance in the oceans? Now that if you have a global warmed ocean, what happens when you add radiation? These are really life and death questions. And the first step that has to be taken, the tangible step, is to shut all nuclear reactors. Now, you know, we did have the one good thing that's come out of Fukushima is that the other 50 reactors in Japan are shut. God willing, they'll stay shut. Even this pro-nuclear prime minister is going to have a hard time reopening those reactors. All five previous Japanese prime ministers have come out against nuclear power. And, uh, I, you know, having been in Japan, I know that the resistance to reopening any of those reactors is going to be ferocious. So at least we got 50 off the table. That's a good start. You know, we got to shut the 100 here in the U.S. We shut five this year. But uh, there's 100 left. And one will go down next year, Vermont Yankee, bring it down to 99. But 99 too many. Europe, they're going away from nuclear. The foolishness in England, they just ordered another reactor or two. It's insane. Those will never be built. I don't believe the four in the southeast, the five actually in the southeast will ever, ever open. Mm-hmm. The one they're fixing up in Tennessee might reopen, but the four in uh, South Carolina and Georgia, those will never be finished. But we've we got to get the reactors that are operating now shut. I mean, you've got two at Indian Point, one of which doesn't even have a license anymore north of New York City. You know, if we thought Fukushima was bad, God forbid an earthquake right. should hit uh, right. Indian Point. So that's what people can do is to shut the existing reactors and to make sure that the world pays attention every day to what's going on at Fukushima 4 and that they understand that even with a if there was 100% success at Fukushima 4, which I think is 100% impossible, then you got to deal with units 1, 2, and 3. God knows what we're going to run into there. So this is a question of public awareness. And thank God we have shows like yours and we have the Internet. And without the Internet, we'd really be cooked. So people, you got to bang away at this. Circulate those articles. Circulate your URL on your show and, and just talk about this and every day. Call uh, the, the governments, call the elected officials, call the media, and demand that uh, they cover it. Although we're we're really outstripping the media here, the corporate media. You know this this story is spreading despite them. I've seen no good reports. Well, actually, Reuters did an excellent story on the labor situation at Fukushima, which is really. I've been covering that every week here. This has been great, Harvey, because the information couldn't be better, more germane, or more terrifying. Well, I'm having uh, Michael Marriott from Veneers on my show today. My show is available at prn.fm. People, it's you know, like yours, it's archived, and people can come and listen at any time. I had Joe Mangano and Jeanette Sherman talking about the health impact. We've been doing the same circuit with the same people on the show. Well, we got to keep doing it. Yeah, it's amazing yeah. that the school is so small of scientists who are willing to talk about this. 
but we have to do it. More and more people are coming out now. I mean, you got five Japanese ex-prime ministers. That's that's a big deal. We're just going to have to crack the wall here so people don't get downhearted. When people see what's happening at Fukushima, they do up the ante to, to shut the other nuclear reactors, and we have to do that because thanks to fracking and other situations, seismic activity is, is increasing. You know, our survival is clearly at stake here. This is not any kind of abstract issue. So uh, let me keep up, you know, just uh, don't lose heart. Uh, this is a test. Yeah, I mean, the good news is, you know, it's like herbal medicine. Whenever there's a, po- like poison ivy, there's uh, always a an antidote, an herbal antidote very close by. And so in this case, you know, the renewable industry just has exploded. That might be an inadvertent, not good word to use, saying that it exploded. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, as, as Fukushima has exploded, so has the renewable industry. In a good way. Let's hope they're offsetting explosions, a yin and yang kind of thing. But the reality is that nuclear has been completely priced out of the market. Even operating reactors like Kiwani in Wisconsin have been priced out of the market by the alternatives. Unfortunately, some of that's fracking, but a lot of it is also wind and solar and biofuels. These technologies have more than come of age, and they're expanding very, very rapidly. It's almost like there's a parallel to Moore's Law. Moore's Law said that computing capacity doubled every 18 months. And really, solar and wind are approaching that in terms of efficiency and price drop. So that much is happening. The question is, can we salvage enough of the planet so that the renewable revolution uh, will have um, a a biosystem to to save? And that's, that's what's at stake at Fukushima. And may we all survive long enough and be safe enough that that can come about and we can substitute one for the other. Right. So come see me at nukefree.org and sign the petitions and listen to your show uh, and, and support the safe energy groups and get your local reactors shut. Now is the time. Harvey Wasserman, thank you for all your decades of work on this issue, for the work that you are doing now, and anything we can do to support you here, shoot an email, give a call, you've got it. Well, make sure you send me the URL, and I'll post it, the link at nukefree.org, and keep up the great work with me. You're wonderful. That was Harvey Wasserman of nukefree.org and so many other places. You can access the petitions he mentioned at nukefree.org. I will also have them posted on nuclearhotseat.com slash blog under today's program number 126. Now here's this week's radiation weather report with Radcast and Mimi Gurman. This is Mimi Gurman for the Radcast report for Tuesday, November 19th, 2013. This is day three of the fuel rod removal at Fukushima Daiichi Nuclear Power Plant. It's important for everyone to understand that yesterday there was an earthquake in Japan, registering at a 5.2 to a 5.5. We're seeing moderate waves in radiation around the United States today with somewhat less elevated highs from previous days. In the southeast and in the south, we have Fairfax, Virginia at 27 CPM, spiking at 45. Fredericksburg, Virginia is 38 CPM, highs of 57, holding steady. Charleston, West Virginia is 43 CPM, with a high of 67, and Graham, North Carolina, 37 CPM, spiking at 50, which is lower for Graham, North Carolina than in recent days. Gainesville, Georgia is 55 CPM, spiking at 73, and Huntsville, Alabama, 37, spiking at 49. In the Northeast, Upper St. Clair, Pennsylvania is 40 CPM, spiking at 49. Robbinsville, New Jersey is 45 CPM with a high of 64. Chicopee, Mass, 
44 CPM, spiking at 66. And Winthrop, Maine, back on our radar is 35 CPM, spiking at 50. Moving into the Midwest, Frederick, Wisconsin is 48 CPM, spiking at 65, which is much lower than Frederick, Wisconsin usually is. Craig, Montana is 41 CPM, spiking at 59. South Dakota, 46 CPM, spiking at 69. And Layton, Utah, 47 CPM, spiking at 68. Noticing the highs in the upper 60s on all three of these. Borger, Texas is 39 CPM, spiking at 57. In the southwest, Chino Valley, Arizona is 54 CPM, spiking at 70, which is low for Arizona. Chandler, Arizona, 44 CPM, spiking at 56. And Tucson, Arizona is 48 CPM, spiking at 61. Arizona definitely has come down in the last few days in their counts. Henderson, Nevada, finishing up the southwest, is 47 CPM, spiking at 59. From Northern California into the Northwest, Northern California is 32 CPM, spiking at 52. North Portland, Oregon, 38 CPM, spiking at 59. Seattle, Washington is 31 CPM with a high of 43. Vancouver, BC, 26 CPM, spiking at 36. Kamloops, BC is 35 CPM, spiking at 51. Sitka, Alaska is 35 CPM, spiking at 49, and Kenai, Alaska is 33 CPM, spiking at 37. Our readings for Radcast reports are collected within 10 hours of the time that they're heard online or on TV or on radio. This is Mimi German for Radcast reports, radically relevant and the first of its kind. We will continue to carry their reports every week here on Nuclear Hot Seat. Next week, it goes international. We'll have the radiation awareness tip in just a moment, but first, you heard Harvey Wasserman. The most important thing we can do is share our information with as many people as possible, and that's what Nuclear Hot Seat exists to do. So if you would like to let others know about the week's nuclear news from an anti-nuclear perspective, of course, I need your help to keep this going. Go to our website, nuclearhotseat.com, scroll down on the home page and hit the big red donate button, and then donate. Whatever you can do to help, know that I really appreciate it. Here's a radiation protection and awareness tip. Not meant to diagnose or take care of any diseases, just to have a little bit of informational conversation. Radiological health expert Daniel Hayes, PhD of the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, suggests that a form of vitamin D could be one of our body's main protections against damage from low levels of radiation. He explained that calcitrol, the active form of vitamin D, may protect us from background radiation and could be used as a safe, protective agent before or after a low-level nuclear incident. It takes a couple of weeks or even months to build up our body's levels of vitamin D. You can't just pop a bunch of pills and raise the level. So check with your preferred nutritional advisor before you start any supplementation program, she said, using part of her disclaimer. You should never take more than the recommended dose and realize, even if you did, it would not raise your vitamin D level all at once. So with that in mind, think about starting your vitamin D now. I know I've been using it since three months after Fukushima. Activist shout-outs. Harvey Wasserman was not alone when that petition was delivered to the United Nations. He was joined by, among others, 
Alan Slater of the New Age Peace Foundation, Priscilla Starr of the Coalition Against Nukes, and Green Party shadow cabinet members, former presidential candidate Jill Stein, Margaret Flowers, and Kevin Zeese. This is Kim Roberson with Fukushima Fallout Awareness Network, or FAN. I'm also the author of Silence Deafening, Fukushima Fallout, A Mother's Response. Once again, there is deafening silence from our elected officials about Fukushima. Please join me in calling the White House and Congress to demand that we, as U.S. citizens and taxpayers, be alerted to any further accidents on behalf of TEPCO as they attempt to remove the thousands of fuel assemblies at Fukushima. A full list of numbers for the White House and Congress is available at www.usa.gov. Thank you, Kim. John Stewart, you need to get on this nuclear story. Lots of big numbnut-sized yucks to be gotten about this prelude to Armageddon. So call me or give me your number. I'll call you because Fukushima and nuclear are <clears throat> explosive issues that you're going to have to deal with eventually. So if you know John, tell him about this. Set the two of us up for a meeting. Send your leads to info at nuclearhotseat.com. Final thought this week comes from Chief Arval Looking Horse. He is the 19th generation keeper of the sacred white buffalo calf pipe and spiritual leader of the great Sioux Nation. He spoke at the People of the Earth Address the Fukushima Crisis event at the United Nations. He said in part, The Fukushima nuclear disaster alone is a threat to the future of humanity. A disease of the mind has set in world leaders. In our prophecies, it is told that we are now at the crossroads. Either unite spiritually or be faced with chaos, disasters, diseases, and tears from our relatives' eyes. Starvation, war, and toxic waste have been the hallmark of the great myth of progress and development that ruled the last millennium. You yourself must decide. On your decision depends the fate of the entire world. Each of us is put here in this time and this place to personally decide the future of humankind. Did you think the Creator would create unnecessary people in a time of such terrible danger? Know that you yourself are essential to this world. Believe that. Understand both the blessing and the burden of that. You yourself are desperately needed to save the soul of this world. Did you think you were put here for something less? This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, November 19, 2013. Material for this week's program has been researched and compiled from enenews.com, nukefree.org, Arnie Gunderson and Fairwinds.org, John B. Wells and Coast to Coast AM, Nutramedical Report, XSKF, Reuters, AFP, Kyoto News, NHK World, World Nuclear News, New York Times, DailyPost.org, Asahi Shimbun, Simply Info and FukuLeaks.org, Radiation and Public Health Project, TheEcologist.org, ABC News, AP, KMPH Fresno, and the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook community, to which you are all invited. Theme music written by me, sung by Marilee Weber. Our archive is available on iTunes or at nuclearhotseat.com slash blog. Nuclear Hot Seat is the activist voice on nuclear issues, so if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. We are copyright 2013. Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications.
You have my permission to reuse this material as long as proper attribution, website, and email are included. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that San Onofre is still shut down forever, and now the ratepayers look to be getting a refund. Woohoo! And we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. So don't go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat.